Welcome to Church Sound Podcast. I'm your host, Samantha. I'm an audio engineer and an editor with ProSound Web, as well as a lead instructor for Church Sound University. On this episode, sound pressure level. As always, I want to give a special shout out to this show sponsor, K-Array, whose loudspeaker solutions can be found at k-array.com. And I also want to thank Digico. Their new Quantum 338 and other house of worship solutions are available at digico.biz. Today, I've got Michael Lawrence with me, and Michael has been involved in live audio since the age of 14 when he was left unattended in a school's auditorium. After graduating from Berklee College of Music in Boston, he spent a few years touring before developing a focus on system design and optimization. He is currently a smart instructor and SPL application specialist for Rational Acoustics. He's the creator and host of the ProSound Web Signal to Noise podcast, once fought a bear with a hammer, and enjoys playing Two Truths and a Lie in his bios. Welcome back, Michael. Hey, thank you. It's so great to be back. Hey, yeah. it's uh, You were, gosh, I think I had you on um, pretty early on in the podcast because it was like right as uh, we were all going into quarantine, it was uh, like we needed to talk about like misinformation and some other stuff. So Yes, when the internet exploded with... Everyone was all of a sudden contributing their their opinions uh, yeah, on every I am an imaginable topic. Yeah, so that was a, that was a good time in in our history. Mm. Uh, I'm still kind of finding it a little bit, but that's we'll get into that. Uh, but today, you know, I, I want to talk about SPL because I just see so much stuff going on. But even before that, I want to back up. So you're at Rational Acoustics, and we talked a little bit in your bio, just kind of how you got here. But uh, how did you come about joining the Rational team? And, and what have you been doing with them since? Yeah, I was doing uh, a series of blog posts on on Reddit, and I have a small system optimization blog that nobody reads. Um, and just kind of talking about my journey through learning system optimization. And, you know, after I would go out and do a gig, kind of come home and debrief myself. And here's what I learned. And I would just share it. Not Not that I'm some, you know, expert on it that has new fresh ideas but it was really like here's what i learned today so take the journey with me right um and i guess uh john aldrich who's uh the he basically runs the technical side of the company is the director of technical operations he was apparently reading these so i was on the radar um for you know just being out there using the software and and learning about it and talking about the workflow and then i think what 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 did it is i sat down one day and i said you know what i'm going to read the the smart manual it's like you know it's like 100 and 70 pages and you can order a, a print copy of it, which is mm -hmm. a cool thing to have on the shelf. And I just sat down and read it and I was learning a lot that the writing is, is fantastic. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really great example of technical writing. Um, and I was just kind of highlighting typos as I went. And mm -hmm. so by the time I got to the end, I typed all this stuff up in a word document and I set it into the support email and I just said, Hey, here's all the typos in your manual. Uh, cause I read the whole thing and <laughs> Jamie called me up and said, do you want to come work with us? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, 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 I basically was belligerent enough with pointing out, uh, mistakes that, uh, they, they called me, which is kind of like, it's funny. <laughs> I mean, that's your kind of bread and butter because you're a technical editor with us at pressing web as well. So it was bound to happen. Yeah. It's about, uh, you know, clarity of communication. Right. You know, um, how how clearly are we communicating the author's ideas and the concepts? And that I mean, that that actually is going to play a lot into, I think, the stuff you want to talk about today, too, is like clarity of communication. Yeah. Clarity in communication seem to be I've just noticed recently in that I, I may be trying to 
um, gently correct somebody. And it's not even about whether it's factually correct or not. That's not even really necessarily the argument. It's that you have to think about what are people going to be gleaning from this? What will they be walking away with? Because if that is wrong, then we need to phrase it so we are guiding them in the correct way. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is tricky stuff because, I mean, SPL is a great example of that where, you know, if you go pull an audio textbook off the shelf or you read some resources online, there's a lot of information about there because we're talking about something that is so, you know, deeply related to human hearing and human perception, which is which is a topic that we're still doing a lot of research on. Mm-hmm. Um, and our understanding of those topics has changed so dramatically yeah. uh, in, in a relatively short amount of time that you know, something that you may have read and read in a book that was published 30 years ago is is maybe not maybe not as true now, or maybe not the best way to communicate it now, or mm-hmm. you know maybe we just have more context about that idea now. So, um, SPL is is one of those tricky ones where um, we all were taught things about this when we were coming up in our careers, and I know that I certainly was um, that that are not true or not, you know, in line with our current understanding of the topic. And so um, this is kind of one of those ones where you got to kind of go into this with with the realization that, yeah, maybe we are working on the old firmware version, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've had so many people in conversations where we're trying to establish a fact or something. And their argument is, well, we've been doing it for 15 years like this, and it's perfectly fine. You know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But the whole it's like, but that is our understanding is different now and what you're saying is in fact broken. Well, I think it's, you know, for me, uh, I've given whole presentations just about like what is engineering and it's a really interesting topic for me. And it's not a debate that I want. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to venture into that fray right now, but, but what I do like about it is, you know, kind of principle, principled application of scientific ideas uh, and, and innovation and coming up with new ways to solve the problem. So, um, just sort of philosophically saying, well, this is the way that it's been done for a long time. So what? I mean, that, that doesn't mean that there's not a better way to do it. And one of the things that I love about working in this field is that we are constantly trying to improve and trying to make things better and trying to deepen our understanding and come up mm-hmm. with alternate approaches. And and, and that's something that, that really draws me to it. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I think there's a ton of merit in understanding why things have been done for such a long time, like, Hey, this is, this is why they do it. Right. Um, and why this is typically done this way. But also my next thought goes to, well, how can I build upon that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I've noticed that in the house of worship and church audio groups is that a predominant majority, like almost everybody really wants to learn and wants to keep getting better and doing more, which is great. Uh, but there are the occasional inside of this vertical, but then also just out in the normal pro audio world of uh, people who are just really like stuck and they don't, they feel like they've learned it all and their clout means more to them than anything else. And like, they will not be wrong. They refuse to be wrong. So uh, those, I are, mean, those people are fun. Those, yeah, but that's, you know, those people don't innovate. Yeah. Uh, if I, if I think about the innovators of audio, and you go back to, to Richard Heiser and you go to Bob McCarthy and you go to Pat Brown and, and Jamie Anderson, the people who pioneered mm-hmm. things. They were wrong so many times and tried the thing and it didn't work and they had to go back and try something else. Um, and, and so these, you know, these people are just so ingrained with it, just screwing it up or getting the wrong idea 
and then correcting for it is such an important part of the process that, uh, you know, I, it's, it's when I, when I, you know, I, I'm very privileged through my work with ProSound Web that I get to interact with so many pioneers in the field and talk yeah. to them about these ideas and how to present them in print and all that stuff. And the, and the, and the common thread is when, whenever there's a, a, a part where we have to say, you know, I don't think this bit's clear or, you know, actually, I think, I think this is a better way to do this. They're all like, oh yeah, you're right. Like they're so open and willing and comfortable with saying maybe there's some room for improvement here. And that's just a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a trait of, of, people who pioneer and people who break new ground. And it's something that um, is very, it's very important to me. It, you know, it's definitely inspirational to me. Yeah, no, I agree. It's very inspirational and, and makes it feel like it's okay for us to also be that way. Of course way. Like it's it, okay. It's, it's okay Nothing's to be wrong. Gonna ha- and- yeah. You're not going to turn into a pillar of salt. Nothing's going to happen. It's okay. Remember yeah. that time I was, you know, Ethan Weiner, who's, you know, just, just incredibly well known for busting audio myths um, he has, I don't know if he's ever told this to anybody other than me, but he has a text document on his computer as a list of all the things he's gotten wrong over the years. And mm. he just keeps adding to it. And, and, and for, for a guy who, you know, has staked his career on pointing out mistakes and pointing out wrong ideas, that's a really interesting thing because it's, it's so important to him to be grounded in that, that we all, you know, we all can improve things. So, um, so, yeah, it's something that it's something that that I think is is not only important, like kind of philosophically, but it's also just it's a good way to be productive yeah. as an audio professional. Yeah, 100 percent. I think you and I have both had our fair sh- like share of emails when we're trying to um, have a productive conversation, usually via email with somebody and um, they get very um, in their feelings about uh, being pointed out that something may be incorrect. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, when you're at music school, um, I remember the, the first day of one of my classes, the, the professor said, all right, everyone's going to get up and you're going to play me something that you're the most proud of. And, uh, and it would immediately just start tearing apart in front of the whole class. And Ouch. what I realized like, like years later was that had nothing to do with our performance or our material or our song or whatever it had nothing to do with that. It was about, Let's learn to objectively divorce ourselves from our creative output enough Man, that we hard. can talk about it and improve it. And that's why that was lesson one first day. Right? And in music, um, that is so yeah, that but hurts it's, to but hear. It, it, it does, but it's it's so necessary. And when you yeah. can do that, it, you know, it makes you better. And it and it's it's obviously like you said, it's very difficult. But um, that that's been part of the fun for me, the journey of learning about SPL. Um, I think about two years ago, we said we're going to bring out a. Uh, you know, a, a version of smart that is just the SPL tool set, um, which is important because you have a lot of houses of worship, churches, small venues, they have no need for the, you know, more advanced analysis stuff. They're not doing transfer function measurements. They're not doing impulse responses, but they definitely want to keep an eye on their levels for all of the reasons that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, can we get them a more affordable tool set that's really designed to just give them the tools they need and not make them spend money on things that they're not going to use? Right. So um, that was about two years ago. And, you know, so the directive was, okay, you're going to kind of spearhead this. And so step one is go learn, (laughs) go learn about SPL and then come back. Right. And so um, it's really one of those topics that we all kind of go, yeah, I know some stuff about that. And as soon as you start getting into it, you're like, oh my gosh, there is so much to this. And there are so many layers here and there's, it's, there's so much history and there's so much human perception. Um, and I've had to constantly reevaluate 
my understanding and reevaluate my knowledge and then kind of go back to my colleagues and say, hey, um, we've all been thinking this thing for a while, but turns out that's Whoops. not actually the case. And, and this and, 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 you know, it says a lot for the grace of people like, like Jamie and all, and all our, our trainers to be able to go like, oh, okay, cool. And just incorporate that new, more accurate information and then, you know, go about responsibly presenting that information to, to the, to the students. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love the team at Rational so much. They're obviously, uh, you know, not spo- not sponsoring this, but they're just fantastic human beings uh, and great audio professionals. They're all they're all great. Like I have, you know, no notes. They're all amazing. <laughs> it's you know, to me, it's it's the culture is very much in line with what we're talking about. Which is if your if your job is to work on an audio analyzer, which is a device that is used to investigate claims find out what happens in circumstances, you know, answer your own questions. Um, that sort of comes built in with this, this mindset of, well, let's find out what the answer is rather yeah. than kind of, I've already decided what the answer is. Cause sometimes you're like, I think I know what's going to happen. You take a measurement and that's not what happens. And then you have right. to sit there and figure out, well, why didn't that match what my expectation was? Right. So, yeah. um, and I think, you know, SPL, like I said, as, as we get into this, I think there's a lot of examples right there. Um, I think the very, the very basic premise here, right? Um, to kind of stick my foot in the door is if you ask somebody, well, what's, what do you do with an SPL meter? Um, they're going to say something like, well, it's how loud it is. Um, and that's the, that's the explanation that I might give my mother at the dinner table. Um, but as soon as we want to attach any actual technical significance to that question or make really any progress into, to diving into it, we have to stop using that definition. Um, because there's this, you know, I always think of the Muppet movie when Fozzie says that there's, you know, turn left at the fork on the road and there's this gigantic fork in the road. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, this is the fork in the road right here. And it's the first, it's the first step with SPL, which is what is objective? What is a, a physical quantity that we're measuring? SPL sound pressure level. It's literally what is the air pressure fluctuation at a point in space? It's it's something we can measure like weight or, or you know, height um, versus loudness, human perception, you know, how do we perceive things subjectively? What seems too loud to me? What seems too loud to you? And there's so many complicated aspects of what's loud and why do I feel like this is loud? And, you know, if we have two mixes uh, that look exactly the same level on our console meters, but one feels louder and punchier and, you know, so, so we have to immediately be at peace with this idea that, uh, the measurement is objective and it's telling us just objective facts. You know, literally we're looking at air pressure versus human loudness perception. We have to understand that those are two different things. They're related, but they're, but they're absolutely two different things. And if, if we're still hung up on that, then, you know, going forward from there, um, isn't productive. So that was, that's, I think the biggest speed bump for a lot of people. And I guess it's convenient that it's the first, (laughs) it's the first speed bump in this case. Right. Um, So yeah, let's, I mean, let's take a moment and let's kind of just reiterate what you just said. So today's topic is of course, SPL, which stands, uh, which stands for sound pressure level. And I see so much misinformation on the internet in the groups of people like asking what's a good number. I will get into that later, but let's, let's walk through what, what you just said. So SPL sound pressure level. What is it? Yeah. So if you think about um, a cork or a ball floating on the surface of the ocean, right? Um, and what happens to that object as a wave passes, 
it's going to bob up and down vertically. It's going to be vertically displaced, right, from mm-hmm. its 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 ambient or rest position. And so, uh, if we measure how far up and down this thing is bobbing as the wave goes by, it, we're not measuring the ambient sea level. We're measuring the change in it when when the wave goes by. That's SPL. We're looking at you know we're not measuring ambient air pressure. We're looking at those fluctuations in air pressure that are the result of a sound wave. And you know we have a great tool in live sound for measuring fluctuations in air pressure. It's called a microphone. Um, and we put that, you know, you put that out at a point in space. And that is that is what an SPL measurement is, is we're literally looking at, you know, to what degree do these sound waves disturb the air that they're passing through? Hmm. Perfect. And why should we care? I mean, I think people are just kind of told that this is somehow important, but but why should the listeners care about SPL? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's something that is going to become very, very much more important to us very, very quickly here as as live events resume. Um, and so, you know, I just said that, well, it's, you know, this is not a indicator of loudness perception, right? So if it doesn't tell us how loud it is, which I have ears for that, I know how loud it, it, it feels to me, and it may not be the same as how loud it feels to you for, you know, a bunch of different reasons that, that are maybe interesting, maybe not. Um, but if, if if we say, okay, well, this is not an indicator of loudness perception, what is it, right? Why do we care? What do we use it for? Um, and it's a great question. And the answer is when we want an objective answer to an objective question. So when I put up an SPL rig at a show, what objective questions am I looking to answer? And and so when you take an SPL measurement, the the, the answer that you're looking for is falling into one of three categories, right? The first category is, just informational. We want to know. Um, you you had our, our friend Willa Snow on recently to mm-hmm. talk about consistency. Um, and a huge part of this consistency, you know, particularly if we talk about being in a house of worship situation where we're going to do, I don't know, three shows or three services on a, on a Sunday morning, right? Um, we do a, you know, the church that I went to growing up, there's a 730, there was a nine o'clock and there's a 1030. Um, and so the idea is, and I know that our friend Chris Leonard has talked about this as well. Hey, that's just because we can't get our whole congregation into the building at one time, right? So mm-hmm. we want it so it doesn't matter which service you go to, you're going to get the same experience, right? Right. So the idea is we want to make sure that we have night-to-night consistency, service-to-service consistency, show-to-show consistency, if you're touring, whatever it is, you know, are we providing a consistent experience? It's sort of quality control for the audience. And so when a lot of us pull up a smartphone app or a, you know, we all have those, the Radio Shack meters in our kits. Hmm. When you put that up on your console, um, the reason that most of us are doing that is because we're looking for consistency. We sort of know where we want to hit at certain points in the show. And that allows us to kind of objectively shape and contour that and get back to that that point every time, you know. And, and this is a situation where if you think about, Hey, is this tool accurate? Well, for that use, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the if the number on the screen is actually accurate, if the calibration of the meter is accurate. And spoiler for, for those handheld meters, it's usually not, right? But mm-hmm. it doesn't matter because it's it's a it's a relative measurement. It's a tool for consistency. So That's I know a, that they put a little asterisk, like a extra emphasis on that. You <laughs> cannot use the handheld meters or your smartphone app to to as a safety feature it is for consistency only it's well yeah see, i mean so safety's you know and we'll get to safety because that's a big topic and mm-hmm. it's it's about to, again it's about to become even more of a big topic so so consistency is number one um and i just i really like this idea of quality control for the audience and we all know what it feels like when you get a cold or you recently got off a plane or you're just kind of feeling fun you know 9 a.m yeah. service is very different than 9 p.m 
Right. And so for all these reasons, you know, uh, hey, it feels it feels a little louder than it was last time. Okay, so are, are we actually running too hot, or is it just you know is it is it just how I'm feeling? Mm-hmm. And so being able to look over and say, nope, we're sitting exactly where we were last time, right? So so just the objective consistency measurement is is a huge application for this, and it's and it's probably application that most of us are familiar with um, as we use these tools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of little tricks I can do with different metrics to kind of help me, you know, really give myself a consistent product for my artists. Um, and so, you know, we see a lot of houses of worship doing the same thing. So that's number one. Um, the second one is, is probably the second most common use, uh, particularly, you know, where you and I do a lot of our work in the United States, um, nuisance noise, right? So mm-hmm. this whole idea of, are we being respectful of our neighbors? Um, and in the United States in particular, most of the laws that are on the books about sound level are with the intent of not bothering your neighbors. So reducing nuisance noise. So, you know, it's not about what you can do in the room. It's about usually at the property line is where the rule is. And so there's a limit at the property line. So we are minimizing the, uh, or limiting at least the annoyance to the, to the people near us. Right. So it's just about, it's about being a good neighbor. Um, and when we do that, um, now we have to start getting a little more technical in our in our language and in our understanding um, for a couple of reasons. Number one is um, we now have to talk about how to measure this because if we pull out our you pull out your 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 you know your trusty old Radio Shack meter. I got I got a box of them in my basement. Um, I think we've all seen them or have them mm-hmm. or the Galaxy. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of these tools that we're we're used to seeing, and and you have two choices to make when you pull this thing out, and one is fast or slow. And the other one is A or C. Yep. Right? What those mean, you know. Right. Uh... So, so here's here's where we get into the weeds really quickly, right? Um, and I want to come back to the fast or slow because what it what it turns out is, uh, for 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 the nuisance noise question, and also for what we're going to talk about the the safety question, fast and slow are both too fast. <laughs> for, yeah. we, we start looking at energy over time to, to make those determinations. And so we use a different metric that most handheld meters can't do, but we'll get to that. Um, there's a spoiler alert for, you know, I know people are on the edge of their seats with this super uh, interesting. They topic. genuinely are. I promise. <laughs> so um, I want to talk about A or C. So, so waiting. Um, and, and here's, here's, here is a key, you know, the, the big, you know, the big red spinning light that's on the top of the old fire trucks with the Awuga horns Mm -hmm. that's going off right now. This is the mythology alert. This is where we get into trouble. So back in the 1930s, I think 1933, um, there was a ton of research being done at the time by, by, you know, Bell Labs and, and the old AT&T, not, not the new AT&T, um, because, Telephone technology was was taking over. It was just huge, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a ton of research being done on speech transmission and human loudness perception and speech intelligibility and all that stuff. And they were transitioning from you know telegraph beep 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 to to actual speech. Um, so there were questions about how much bandwidth do we need and what frequency response is is acceptable. And um, so there were these two scientists. Uh, I think we all know these names, Fletcher and Munson, right? Were at at uh, Bell Labs studying this stuff. And what they were studying was this idea that human hearing, the tonal balance of our hearing changes with level. So at, at low levels, we are not very sensitive to bass. We're not as sensitive to bass as we are to sounds in the mid range. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at higher levels, uh, we kind of gain some of that 
sensitivity back. So they published they published this this research in 1933, and it was based on you know basically uh, what what different levels at different frequencies do we need in order for these all these frequencies to be perceived as the same subjective loudness to a listener. Um, and if you look at these curves, you know, we call them the Fletcher Munson curves. Um, the they they start off very very curved at the bottom, like you said, because we have a lot less sensitivity to bass. Mm-hmm. And when you get up to concert level, around 100 dBSPL or whatever, um, their curve is basically flat. So the idea is human hearing flattens out at high levels. The problem is this research was revised a lot since then, over and over and over again. Robinson and Dadson in I think 1956, and again in the 80s. And there's there's if you go on AES, there's just a ton of revisions to this. The current what we call equal loudness contours. Um, ISO 226, I think, is the standard, um, or 223. Um, they're they're quite different than the original Fletcher Munson data. Um, so so you know, there's some interesting theories on why their research wasn't as accurate as as the the currently accepted, you know, values. It's that's again kind of a nerd trivia thing. If I'm ever on Jeopardy or who wants to be a millionaire, I'll totally win with that one. But um, the idea is that you know this idea that human hearing flattens out at at high levels is not true. Um, it, it, it's less curved, but it's definitely not flat, right? Mm. So here's why that matters. Because in the late 1930s, they wrote a standard for SPL measurement. And the idea was, let's take this objective measurement of air pressure and let's weight it, basically apply an EQ to it, right? To uh, make the measurement kind of look more like it sounds. So let's take this objective measurement and change it until we basically feel better about it, yeah. right? Which is what it is. So it's a little bit like, you know, changing the calibration on your bathroom scale until it reads the weight that you want to be and not the <laughs> weight that you actually are. So, it, so yeah. it's a little bit against the point of taking an objective measurement in the first place, in my opinion. But um, the, the the other issue is that they they said, all right, well, at, at, at low levels, we're going to take the, uh, you know, with the, the with the uh, they have this this subject uh, subjective unit of loudness called called the phon, and at forty phons, which is low level, you know, below conversation level, um, they said we're going to take the forty phons Fletcher Munson curve and we're going to just basically EQ the, the the meter like that. So we're going to roll off all the base out of our measurement, mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's a it's a it's a high pass filter basically, right? Um, yeah. And and so it it's already twenty dB down by hundred hertz, so you know that became a weighting. Um, and a weighting basically ignores your base. You can't tell if your subwoofers are on or off with a weighting because it just, it basically, you know, ignores all that low frequency. Yeah. And then they said, we're going to go up to the, you know, 90 or hundred Fons Fletcher Munson curve. And we're going to take that, the flat one, basically flat, a little bit, just at the, at the frequency extremes. And we're going to make that the C weighting curve. Hmm. And we're going to use this when we measure at high levels. They also picked a one in the middle, about 70 Fons. And they said, this is the B weighting curve. And we're going to use that. So we end up with these curves, A, B, C, um, based on data that we now know does not actually represent the, you know, the tonal response of human hearing. So that's one problem, right? Yeah. So, so we've all been taught, I was taught, I know you were taught this idea that, hey, if I'm measuring at low levels, I want to use A. If I'm measuring at high levels, I want to use C. And then the measurement will match our perception. And uh, if you th- actually think about that for a little bit, it's super circular because – you know, the, 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 the value that we're measuring, we say, okay, well, if it's high, we're going to use a different weighting curve than if it's low. So you're letting the, you're letting the, 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 the level influence your weighting curve, but your weighting curve influences your measured level. 
So, <laughs> so they go, well, yeah, you know, then there's variations on this, on this idea, but okay. If it's above, if it's above 90 UC, if it's above 90 A or 90 C, which one, <laughs> so you have to, do you see how circular it gets? Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, just the assertion that, okay, well, C weighting represents our, our hearing it at, at concert level. No, it doesn't. Um, there is a weighting curve for that that actually does a decent job of the total response to human hearing at, at concert levels, the B weighting curve. The B weighting curve was taken out of the standards in the mid-70s. Why? Because, <laughs> back to the fork in the road, mm-hmm. the whole point of the SPL measurement and the way that we use it in live audio is not to attempt to match human loudness perception. We do have a measurement for that, the loudness meter. It's in our DAWs. We use it when we mix down and mix the streams. I know you talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um that actually does use a modified version of the B weighting curve. So the fact that that they took this out of the SPL standards tells us that, well, again, we're not that's not what we're chasing with this, right? We're chasing these objective measurements. So we go through all that to say, and by the way, if anyone wants to go on Wikipedia or whatever, you can look up the, the weighting curves. You can see what see what I'm talking about. Um, but the, but the cheat sheet is, and the thing that you take away with you is that the C weighting basically includes the full bandwidth of our signal, and the A weighting ignores the base. That's the effective difference. Yep. So then, then you go, well, it's like you said, if it's, this is not, we're not chasing human loudness perception, what do we do with it? And here's where we get into the fun, because you would say, all right, I'm measuring now, we're talking about nuisance noise, category number two of why mm-hmm. we would measure. Are we bothering our neighbors? Well, what's going to bother your neighbors? It's not the 16K <laughs> from your PA, right? Right. It's the base. It's that sub-energy, that stuff, those long wavelengths. We've all yep. been like, you know, you see the car pull up next to you with all the windows shut. Yep. What do you hear? All the bass, right? Yep. Yeah, and, and, the, and the license plate rattling, right? So that's that stuff goes through because the way things are so long, it's really good at going through buildings and going long distances outside. It's not as absorbed by air as the higher frequencies are. So you have a perfect recipe for that 63 hertz stuff, you know, right in the middle of the sub range yeah. to bother your neighbors. Um, so if we're measuring for like, the energy that's going to bother our neighbors, you don't want to use A-weighting because A-weighting doesn't see that energy. The problem is that a lot of the laws on the books in the U.S. specify A-weighting <laughs> for nuisance noise. Super helpful. Super helpful because it's, it's you know, there are historical reasons for that. A lot of that stuff comes from industrial applications and so on and so forth. It's not really that interesting. But the point is, this is a perfect example of the, of the, the mess we get into with SPL. Because you can have a situation where, and I saw this on the news not too long ago, you have a church and they have to be under whatever it is, 65 dBA at the property line, and they are, but they have a lot of sub-energy. Mm-hmm. And the sub-energy is bothering the neighbors. So so the neighbors are objectively being bothered, and we don't want that, but they are objectively not breaking the rule. Yeah, they have no legal standing. Because the rule is not doing a good job of addressing the situation it was designed to address, right? Mm-hmm. And so this really underscores the importance of just having enough basic understanding of this topic that we can talk productively about it. Right? Exactly. And that's because, just, I mean, and what we've been talking about so far has just been the nuisance side. We're not even yet into the safety side yet. Right, right. So, you know, this is one of those things where um, where we measure it, how we measure it, you know, um, if you look at, if you look at a, not a handheld meter, but a professional actual SPL tool set, like, you know, like the tools that we have in smart, for example, out of the box, if you just open it up and hit start logging, we're generating like 13 different metrics, right? You have different weightings, you have different time integrations. You yeah. So, uh, if the rule is keep it under 67, 
well, which one of these metrics am I keeping under 67? And this is where we get into trouble because all of these are, you know, objective interpretations of the same waveform that went into the microphone. We're just, we're just, you know, we're, we're framing the data in different ways. Yep. And so the question is now, well, how do I frame it? People say, which metric do I use? Well, there's a reason we generate more than one because which one is going to be most helpful for you in your application, right? And this is why we have to learn what, what the difference is. So, um, you know, you have these laws on the books that are just keep it under 95 is technically meaningless. It's not a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I, I, that's not a, something I could put on a meter because you didn't tell me the weighting. You didn't tell me it was a yeah, fast or slow. What? Right, right. Is that where? Um, so, uh, so then we can go to the third category and I know you have all sorts of questions. <laughs> we can, we can dive into this, but the third category of why I would set up an SPL measurement rig. And, and the third one, um, which is in my opinion, uh, of the utmost importance and something that our industry is very quickly starting to realize that we should pay attention to, um, and not just our industry sound exposure, right? Um, Apple is putting dosimeters on on their on their watches now because we've been putting earbuds in kids' ears for 15 years, and now we're starting to go, oh wait, maybe that's not great, right? Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like I like to kind of make the analogy to like um, smoking in the 40s and 50s. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. right. Yeah. Was, you know, and so nowadays the, the 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 conversation around smoking, like no one is seriously advocating that it's not bad for you anymore, right? Like that. As as Austin Powers would say, that train has sailed, right? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> like, um, like we we know that we know the truth about the the, the health effects of smoking, mm-hmm. um, and and so sound exposure is the same way because you know f- it's interesting. You know, objections were being raised for for decades. You can find papers from the seventies and AES where people are going, "Wait, maybe we shouldn't do this so much." Um, but now that we have the data on it, um, we are starting to really have a pretty good idea of what actually is safe and what actually is not safe and what's likely to result in damage and what's, what's not likely to result in damage. And so as that idea becomes better defined and we can literally measure it in real time now, um, the conversation of the industry is turning to, well, wait, you know, why are we sending people home from an event with, you know, seven days worth of sound exposure in 90 minutes. Like, Hey, that's not great. Right. So that's what OSHA told us. (laughs) So, so, um, Sound exposure is a big, important issue, um, and it's 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 something that I, I spend a lot of my working hours working on. I've worked on a couple AES papers about this. We're working on a couple more now uh, just to try to help people understand this and better ways to predict it and better ways to manage it. And, you know, let's not lose sight here because, by the way, I love – loud rock music. I love going to concerts and feeling my pants flapping in the subs. Like, everyone <laughs> – that's awesome, right? So – I don't think anyone is like, you know, I mean, I'm certainly not saying like we shouldn't have concerts anymore. Like we, we love concerts. We love, you know, and I know your listeners, right. I'm sure they love doing church sound. They yeah. love, we, this is a passion that we share is to go out and have amplified music. So um, I think it's important that we have to start from that point of like, we, we want to do this. We want to do it really well. We want to do it effectively. We want to give people an awesome experience. We also don't want to hurt them. Right. Right. And, and those don't need to be, opposite goals. We can do all of those. And a lot of the research that I'm doing and a lot of the work that I'm doing with Rational and the workshops that we are teaching is working with engineers to say, here's how you can do this. Here's how you can have an awesome uh, experience and create a really punchy mix that sounds fat and impactful and dynamic and is safe. Um, And so how do we measure sound exposure? Um, 
here's another here's another let's put the awuga horn back on right <laughs> yeah <laughs> um the historical basis for that a weighting curve that ignores the base was like hey it's supposed to sort of mimic our perception at, at lower levels but if you look at all the guidance on sound exposure whether it's occupational whether it's recreational if you look to world health organization if you look at osha we're all pretty familiar with osha if you look at niosh National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, right? All of those organizations that have guidance on sound exposure, they use A-weighting. And that's a big question for a lot of people. And it was a big question for us when we started digging into sound exposure measurement. Mm -hmm. Why are we using a metric that was designed for low levels at concert levels? That's a great question, right? And the answer is we talked to NIOSH and... uh, Turns out you can call NIOSH. That's kind of, <laughs> yeah, call them up, right? That's always um, a number. <laughs> yeah. And so we have, we have some really great contacts at NIOSH, these people who are, you know, uh, just brilliant audiologists and, and have just this a massive, uh, you know, resources available to them and tons of research and um, are really keeping tabs on, on this work. And what they said is it has nothing to do with perception. And that's an important point, right? It's possible to be, and we've all been in a situation where it, we're just like, this sounds terrible. It's too loud. Turn it down. It's harsh. I don't like mm-hmm. it. It's uncomfortable. It, it, that may, you know, it's very possible to be like, wow, it's too loud. This is terrible. And it's objectively safe. It's not doing damage to you. You just don't like it. Yeah. Right. Um, kind of like, I don't, you know, broccoli. It's totally healthy. I just don't like it. Uh, same <laughs> thing. Right. And it's also possible, and we've all been in this situation too, to be at a concert where you're totally comfortable having a great time. It feels great. It's loud. It's cool. Your ears don't hurt, right? Mm-hmm. But the level is objectively unsafe. And that is, again, back to that big fork in the road and picturing Kermit and Fozzie in the, in the <laughs> yeah. Studebaker. Like, yeah. you know, so our whether or not we're comfortable is not a reliable indicator of whether or not it's safe. And that's a really important idea. And it's not in line with what a lot of us, you know, traditionally were taught. Yeah, and um, everybody's different, and we're also individually different um, just throughout our lives, or depending on how many concerts we go to, or the kind of music we're listening to. All that changes. I mean, that is completely subjective. Yeah, exactly. And and so what NIOSH said is the A-weighting curve, sort of by accident, ends up being a pretty good match, statistically speaking, for the energy range that is most likely to do the most damage to your hearing. That's it. So it has nothing to do with our perception of loudness. Mm-hmm. It's just that, hey, if you look at the data, and like I said, there's decades of data on this now, and you look at the A-weighted levels, they correlate pretty darn well. And, and, and there's some physiological reasons for that. If you want to read about the transfer functions of the hearing mechanism, which you don't, right? Unless you're having trouble sleeping, <laughs> email me, I'll send you some papers. Um, so it, we, we end up sort of by accident having this, you know, weighting curve that, that works really well for sound exposure. Um, and so... The OSHA thing is really interesting, and let's you know let's give the Awuga horn one more one more <laughs> go around on this, right? Um, the OSHA thing is oftentimes interpreted as well. We're under OSHA's permissible exposure limits, so we're safe. And the only thing you're safe from is is legal action, right? And and right. maybe not entirely safe. That that is the point of legal liability when your employees 
can file against you and you know you're you're legally obligated to not do that to them yeah um, and it's just so, way high it's a complete <laughs> number than retaining your hearing right exactly so that's that's the that's the thing that people don't realize often is OSHA was not designed to prevent all hearing damage it was designed to indicate when it's literally considered a workplace hazard right um and so if your question is well what's actually safe NIOSH has a model um, they have recommended exposure limits. Notice the difference in the name, right? OSHA is yep. permissible. NIOSH is recommended. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they're, they're much lower and you're going to hit that, you know, that, that 100% dose much faster. Um, and another people raise their hand at this point and they go, well, wait, wait, those are for occupational. And I only go to, you know, people go to a concert four times a year, or they might go to a concert once a month. Um, and that's true. And so part of the work that we're looking at is how do we adapt these things? Um, you know, for those occasional listeners, the, the World Health Organization has a lot of guidance on that already. Um, but also, you know, these are these are statistically based in, hey, these levels, we know that these are not good levels, right? Mm-hmm. Or, so 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 even if it's even if it's you're not doing it yourself every day, um, it's it's still a good indicator of like, hey, maybe that's not great. And the other thing is, you know, we obviously want to protect the audience, but for the audience who's, again, going to that show right, maybe, you know, once a month, we're doing it every weekend or we're doing it every night if we're on tour. And so, you know, we're going to hurt ourselves, our artists, our people that are in our, uh, you know, our, our praise and worship band members, our musicians, our singers, um, our ushers, all the people that are around this all the time, mm-hmm. we're going to hurt them way before we hurt the audience. And so all of a sudden, you know, for people who, who run sound, I, I'm going to make a career out of this. I need my hearing to do that. I'm going to be around this professionally or even as a volunteer, something I'm passionate about. All of a sudden, yeah, maybe we don't want to be exceeding those levels that that we know are not great, right? So um, one of the things that I'm very proud of that we're doing in SMART is um, you know, cause we've all done this whole thing where, oh, I'm going to look at the level and I got to get the calculator out and I have this table from OSHA and I'm going to try to figure out right. how long it's going to be. That yeah. sucks. Right. And, and, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a flaw in that approach, which I'll, I'll mention, but, um, that, that's, that's kind of a, an annoying approach and it's, it's not really actionable. Um, what we're doing is we're measuring both the OSHA dose, dose, percent dose, like, you know, one, one, yeah. <laughs> one shifts allotment or one daily allotment, yeah. um, as a percentage. Just like a dosimeter that you would wear if you were working around radioactive right. materials, right? And the, the the higher level of radioactivity you're around, the faster it's going to go. Beep, beep, beep. You're done for the day. Go home, right? Yep. Same idea. Sound exposure dose in OSHA and in NIOSH. Um, you can just put it up on a meter and it's in your log files. Um, and so you have a really good idea in real time of like, is this safe? Is this not safe? Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely brilliant of just making, I mean, because this is so hard to distill down, like people always want to know, like, what's the number I need to be at? And you can't really, like, it's really hard to answer that, um, without going totally into the weeds, like we've talked about, but at least with this percentage that you guys are kind of putting together, it's like easily understood from the mixed desk. Like it's you know, uh, easy, easy to understand. And you don't have to, it's, it's re it's more realistic as a compared to, you know, getting a patent paper out. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a, you know, it, 
And I, I believe, and I know that it's rational acoustics as, as a whole, we believe that, you know, you shouldn't have to, so the great metaphor is, does the doctor need, need to be able to build the MRI machine or just interpret the results? Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't have to have, you know, a professional background in sound exposure and hearing health and going and read all these medical white papers. No, if the question you're trying to answer, because you're, you're, you're being responsible to your congregation is, is this safe? Here, here, we're going to give you a tool to help you answer that question, right? And and you shouldn't have to know how all of this stuff works under the hood of the math level in right. order to get an answer to whether or not this is safe. We want that answer to be easy. We want that answer to be accessible. Um, and 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 I'll mention that, like you said, exposure again, just like the radioactivity, right? It's not about a number. It's about how loud for how long. Right. So, the higher the level is, the less amount of time we want to be around that level before you hit your, you know, your point where it's not good for you. Um, and, and we're also not looking at, you know, that's the problem with the fast and the slow on the, on the meters. Again, maybe they're, you're happy and you're used to looking at them when you mix, but when we're talking about exposure, we're really looking at energy over time. So typically we use a, a different metric for that, which is called LEQ. Um, and it stands for equivalent continuous sound level. Um, my dog just sighed when I said that. I don't know if he likes long terminology or not, but um, <laughs> he's very tired of this topic. Um, so, so that's a thing that on your your cheap basic handheld units, they're not going to be able to calculate LEQ because it's it's a little harder to do under the hood mathematically. Um, so, so the professional level tools will give you an LEQ. Typically, we're looking at a fifteen minute a weighted level, and that's kind of where you can look at and say, you know this is the number that we want to stay under. But also, again, it's different for a 45-minute service versus a, you know, a five-hour concert. Um, those are very different. So um, exposure is unfortunately not a one-number answer, but it is something that we are getting really good at, at characterizing. So that's the good news. Yeah. So, and I think as this technology develops, and really, I think as kind of the, the laws catch up, I think that we'll see that develop even faster. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and a part of this is is regional. Like if you're in Europe, this stuff is already pretty heavily legislated and regulated. Um, and the United States right now is is pretty much a wild west um, where you see regional stuff, you see state, you see county, city level. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no there's no enforced federal legislation on this. Uh, we do think that's going to change. We know that the World Health Organization is uh, working on. Um, some guidance, some international standards on recreational sound exposure that includes, uh, you know, I think they're calling it the Safe Listening Venues Initiative or something like that. Um, and I'm on a technical committee for AES, and, and part of what we're doing is working to give good information to the World Health Organization so they can understand sort of the realities and logistics of how this work happens mm-hmm. um, and how we measure it and how engineers can react to things um, to hopefully, you know, give that guidance um, some some really good practical application, um, uh, you know, but, um, you know, I also think in in a way, if we talk about what's the law, you're sort of missing the boat. Um, because to me, um, there's a real, there's a real ethical implication here or a moral implication, if you will, we are, we are operating a system that is capable of hurting people. Yeah. And so there is a responsibility both as a professional and as a human being to be responsible in how we operate the system that can hurt people is no different than doing rigging or doing electrical or doing pyro, right? Or any of the other things in live events that can be a risk to other people. Uh, we have the same 
obligation there to not to not hurt people. That's part of, um, you know, we can talk about stewardship all day long in, in, a, in a house of worship situation. And this is if, if you're saying this is my service, you know, I know that I know that a lot of your listeners are maybe not professional engineers, but it's something that they do because it's important to them. Right. To to uh, participate in their community and their congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in that in that assertion that you know, this is, this is an important way for me to serve my community, to serve my congregation. I don't want to hurt them and I need to be a good steward of their health and their well being. Um, and, and so I think it's something that we all can agree that like, Hey, we don't, we don't want to bother our neighbors and we don't want to hurt each other. And we want to have a great event. Right. Um, I think we can all agree on those things. So now it just comes down to, can we figure out how to make that work and, and just do all of those things in the best way that we can do them. Yeah. And it's also good to have, you know, some kind of be taking some kind of measurement of some kind, because we all know that people exist. Um, a lot of times they're usually older who think the service is too loud or is not loud enough. And to just say, Hey, uh, yeah, we, I've been keeping track of it or our team is keeping track of it. And we're in, um, at the top of the healthy range for us, uh, and for your kids, or we're at the, you know, we're, we're in the sweet spot right now. So we, we can't, or won't be able to make any adjustments in either direction. Well, that's, you know, what you're talking about is accountability. And mm-hmm. I think that's a huge and really important topic. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because, um, it's, it's, it's a level playing field. And I don't want to use that language to imply that it's a, it's a confrontation because it shouldn't be. It's just that we're all, we're all on the same page, right? Um, for the reason you mentioned, older people typically have more difficulty with intelligibility. And by the way, intelligibility is one of those things where you're like, I can't hear the TV, turn it up. Mm-hmm. If you have a sound system that's not intelligible, our reaction as humans is turn it up. But more SPL may not, but we want, we may want just better intelligibility, right? It may be bad acoustics. It might be a, a, a bad tuning, or whatever, um, bad speaker. I mean, there's a lot of things that can cause poor intelligibility, but our, you know, that's one of those things that we conflate with, <laughs> with loudness. So it's, it's exactly what we started off talking about. But like you said, um, I know a lot of churches who log every service. They have a policy that, that their, their, their audio team has worked with their leadership and looked at nuisance noise considerations and looked at sound exposure considerations Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, what is also sort of culturally and artistically appropriate for the type of music that you have at your church, which is a huge factor. Um, and you kind of mix all that into a stew and you say, here's, here's our role. The, the, the 15 minute level a weighted will never exceed, I don't know, you know, 92, whatever that number is. Yeah. Um, but it's clear it, it's 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 information that's available. It's not a secret. We have it on a screen at mixed position, and we like I said, we have those log files. The cool thing about SPL log files, it's not like writing big multi-track wave files to your computer. They're text files. They're tiny. Mm. I have log files from every show I've mixed for the last two and a half years. So you can keep a folder of these things on your computer, um, and they're a megabyte, you know, for a service. And you always have that accountability to be able to look back and say, someone complained. What was the level? Were we outside of our policy? Hmm. Were we mixing a little bit hot? You know, the, maybe the drummer got a little bit excited this week. It happens, right? Um, or, you know, more people than usual are saying they couldn't hear this week. Was the level okay? Did something else change? Was, you know, do we have a speaker system issue we need to fix? Do we have a new operator and they were just running the service lower than usual? Um, for all of the reasons that we've talked about this whole episode, that accountability 
is really important, especially if we want to talk about what is your role in the community and in the congregation, right? Um, and so being able to address those situations where someone's saying, I, I'm having trouble hearing, or I, I'm not comfortable, it's too loud, or I think it might not be safe for me. Um, the objective data to me is absolutely step one, because otherwise, you know, uh, I think about riding in, in the car with my girlfriend, right? I am like, oh, I like the song and I turn it up and she turns it and she's like, this is too loud. So we just fundamentally disagree on what the appropriate loudness mm -hmm. is and that's okay, right? But, but when we have a congregation, um, we need to have some sort of communal agreement on what, what we think is acceptable. And there are obviously things you can do like make your system louder in the front rows and, you know, have, have quieter zones in the back. There are absolutely things you can do to make it so people who have different preferences can be comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I, you know, I love doing the, uh, the concerts out on the town square in my town and all the little ladies come with their chairs and they sit way in the back <laughs> because they are self-selecting a less loud experience for yep. themselves. And they just know when I'm in the back, it's not as loud back there. Right. So that is important to build into a good worship experience so people can be comfortable um, and, and put themselves in an environment where they feel comfortable. Um, but, you know, those conversations to me have to start with the objective data and, you know, are we doing something that's unsafe? That's, that should be a very important question. It's a very serious question. Are we doing something that breaks our community's rules or the legal rules of our town or whatever? And, and are we being consistent with the, with the policy that we've set out in our, and again, what's our vision for how our services are supposed to be experienced? Right. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought the accountability. And so that's a situation where, you know, I'm mixing every time I'm mixing, I got my meters in front of me and I'm usually not being held to any rule that says I have to do anything, but I do it anyway, because I like the accountability. I like the repeatability, I like the consistency. And so when I think about, you know, I, I know that the, the house of worships, houses of worship, I should say that, that I've been involved with, um, often do multiple services in a weekend. And so, you know, is this, is this consistent from service to service and from week to week is a big question. It's an important question when we talk about, um, you know, again, the stewardship factor here. Right? Mm -hmm. So earlier you talked about LEQ loudness equivalency. And again, this may be opening up a can of worms, but I would like to touch on it just a little bit. So we've established that we, you know, the fast and the slow are both too fast. So we use this loudness equivalency, but you're also doing it over a, a time uh, integration. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, sure. So, so uh, the fast and the slow, the, the integration time of a SPL slow is one second. Right. So uh, it decays like four and a half dB per second. So, you know, in the last three seconds, that level can drop by over 12 dB. So if you're looking at that meter, just you're glancing up at it to say, am I under the limit or not? That's a totally useless thing. Um, it's it's a mixing tool for a lot of people. And that's absolutely fine. And fast is fast is actually eight times faster. Fast, fast is an eighth of a second. So it's really, really fast. Um, so if we're talking about, you know, what was the level of the of the last song? What was the level of 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 the 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 three song set that was just mm -hmm. just played for the people, right? Um, those longer term questions. It's sort of like you know you can't watch you can't watch thirty seconds of a movie and tell me what the plot is, mm -hmm. right? I just need more context. So we use LEQ, uh, you know, um, it's it's equivalent continuous level is is the full term, which is why we just call it LEQ because that's too long. Um, and it's literally <laughs> it's literally a moving average. It just says we're looking at the level over, let's say ten minutes. 
And what is the equivalent steady state level over 10 minutes? So you can have these loud moments. You can really push that that last chorus and get that impact. And you can really pull it back and get that, you know, the quiet, the bridge part and people lean forward in their seats and really suck them in. You can move those levels in and out and play with that. But your 10 minute level is, you know, it gives you that room to kind of play as a mixer and still make sure that the long-term level is where it's supposed to be. So um, typically the LEQ, um, the number after tells you how many minutes in the average. So LEQ one is, is one minute. LEQ 15 is 15 minutes. Um, the most common one by far for speed limits that we put on people at venues and at festivals and stuff like that is, is a 15 minute average, which mm. is a nice length because you can have a loud song in there, you know, and then a quiet song and you're still not going to, whereas if I said it's a 30 second limit, um, you can't even have a loud verse for 30 seconds. Right. Um, so, so the LEQ and in smart, again, one of the cool things that, that we can do is you can have as many LEQs as you want from one second to 24 hours. And one of my mixing approaches is I have a 10 second that I use instead of fast and slow because it's a little more stable. doesn't bounce around mm. as much. Then I have a one minute and a 15 minute. And so I'm not just looking at one metric. I'm looking at the contour. And am I, am I trending up or down? And, you know, have I been loud too long? Do I have to start pulling it back? So it's, it's showing me where I am now, kind of where I'm trending. And then what's the, what's the level been long term? And that really allows me to stretch my legs as a mixer. Um, so the LEQ is that's your desert island metric. If you were going to take all my SPL metrics away and banish me to a desert island mm -hmm. with one metric, which I don't know why you would, because the desert island's probably really quiet. Um, but <laughs> but um, the LEQ is is the one that for most of these questions that we're digging into when we talk about why would we want to use an SPL rig, the LEQ is 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 kind of the the golden ticket there. That's that's a really useful one. So you can go into Smart and set up a bunch of different length ones um, and and keep tabs on that data. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, absolutely. That that does. I just wanted to, because it's kind of one of those important, you, they may see it written, but they have no idea why right. that number is. Yeah, what does exactly. that mean? <laughs> like exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, if you if you sit there and you watch an SPL slow or fast meter bounce around, and then you go, well, what was the love of the last song? I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> you I can tell you I mean? the last Right. <laughs> exactly. So, so when we start talking about consistency and we start talking about, you know, safety, uh, those are, those are longer term questions. And so is it possible for you to answer um, the line that should maybe not be crossed? Um, for these church mixers? Uh, you know, like I said, I mean, it really is a stew. Um, I, you know, I was raised Catholic. So, you know, what, what is considered um, normal and appropriate for, for a traditional Roman Catholic service is very, very different than what might be considered normal and appropriate for a Pentecostal service. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, I've, I've been involved with a lot of different denominations over the years and worked with a lot of different denominations on their audio. And so it kind of, you know, the first step for me is always just go to a service and just kind of see what they're doing and see how they use the space and see what their experience is like. Um, because that has to be our baseline, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to tell the Catholics, Hey, everything should go up by, by 10 DB and you'll still be fine because people are going to leave. Mm. Um, you know, and you also can't go to, to a, a, um, you know, I, I, one of my favorites was the Southern Baptist. They, that music is just such a blast oh, and yeah, it's it just is. so enthusiastic and it's a lot of fun. So I can't go and say, well, you guys need to come down by 20 DB. Because that's just inherent to the the experience that they have and the, the experience that they're sharing. Um, 
but from from a uh, just talking about just kind of the strict safety interpretation of you know when do I get nervous about the numbers mm-hmm. for a traditional I'll call it a ninety minute service um, when that when that a weighted level gets into three digits I'm really getting nervous uh, I, I I'm probably not hanging out at that point, I'm definitely wearing plugs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, you know, cause you're, you're getting into where you're going to expect to be for like an arena concert. Uh, yeah. You know, um, and again, it's very, very general. Um, and that doesn't mean that if you're at 99 a for two hours, you're totally safe. Cause that's absolutely not right, true. Either. Yeah. But, but you know, a really good rule of thumb is like, if your a weighted numbers are, are approaching a hundred or passing a hundred, that's a, that's a good indication that you at least want to have a conversation about what is our sound exposure risk. Mm. Right. Is there anything that the audio tech should not be doing? Like there seems to just one that comes to mind is the idea of just like you could just use any microphone. Yeah. So um, that's a great question. And, and you know, I think if anyone's taken a, a smart training or a typical, you know, analyzer training, one of the things that you learn is I can go and buy 10 different measurement microphones from 10 different manufacturers and sort of just put them all in the same like softball sized area. And they're all going to basically give me the same answer, like within a DB or two, you know what I mean? Um, so traditionally we say, we don't really care too much about the absolute perfect specs of the measurement mic, especially in a typical venue where we might move the mic five feet and get a, you know, the response right. changes more than the, than the microphone tolerances. So, um, when we go to measure SPL, we're talking about subjecting that microphone diaphragm to much, much, much higher pressure levels than you would during a typical measurement session. Um, orders of magnitude higher, right? Um, and so all of a sudden, what type of mics will take this show level beating um, is a consideration. And that's one of the issues with smartphones. Um, you know, people say, oh, I checked it against a calibrated reference and it matched. Maybe it did, you know, uh, depending on the type of phone that you have, it, it's probably reasonably close. Um, Android's not at all close, <laughs> but, but you know, certain phones, yeah, they're, they're going to be in the ballpark. Um, the issue is that those little, they're called MEMS capsules that are inside the phones. They are meant for humans talking into them. They are not meant for show level, hmm. uh, you know, PA and, and they are just in hard overload at these levels. My phone will never show anything higher than 96 C, um, regardless of what you subject it to. Um, so you can really get yourself into a potentially dangerous situation where you're like, my phone says it's safe and it's not. And your phone just, it, your phone just doesn't have any, you know, the pedals mm-hmm. all the way down. Right. <laughs> so, um, so phones, like we said, the, the handheld, uh, the, the, the inexpensive handheld stuff, uh, uh, they are absolutely useful maybe for, for consistency tools. Um, they're certainly entertaining, but if, if you're making a serious decision right? About, is this safe? Or are we delivering a consistent product? Or are we breaking a rule? Serious questions. Um, th- those are maybe not the most appropriate tool. So you definitely, you know, the, the seriousness of the question should, I guess, dictate the seriousness of the tool that you use, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And when you first started kind of down this journey, we were talking about measurement mics, and you can get a calibrated um like reference sort of like flat microphone for very affordable and exactly like you said when you're measuring a system and you're doing that dual channel transfer function it kind of doesn't matter because it's all subtract it's like subtractive anyways you're just seeing the difference so it, it, it it's fine uh, yeah, the only, want, the only variables a... being measured are, are the ones that are not in the chain <laughs> 
Yeah, like obviously we want a mic that's flat and omnidirectional, right? We don't we don't want the mic to to color the signal that we're picking up, but but we choose measurement mics because they're flat and omnidirectional. Even the even the the eighty dollar ones are you know relatively flat and omnidirectional between forty hertz and and eight k. When you want to go down to twenty hertz, you want to go up to twenty k. That's kind of where the, they get more expensive. Mm-hmm. But you know, typically speaking, and and I encourage anyone who's doubting me to try it. Go get three measurement mics. And put them all together and take three measurement, you know, take three transfer functions at the same time. They're going to be pretty darn close. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, like you said, the tolerances that we work in for typical tuning work, that's just not something that we tend to be too concerned about. Um, but most of those mics aren't meant to take that beating of, 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 you know, show level or concert level. And, yeah. and again, if I'm measuring speech, you know, again, if I think about going to the, the, the Catholic church that I grew up at, I, that's not a huge concern. Because they're not, that's not a loud experience. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about, you know, the more modern styles of worship where they really are in a lot of ways emulating or creating or offering a concert style experience. Yeah. You know, those, those mics, um, that's, that's a situation. And we have a lot of information on our website that just sort of guides you to like, what should I be looking for? And the other, you know, a lot of measurement mics at those levels, they're putting out pretty high voltage and they'll overload your interface, right? So so there starts to be this little ripple effect of what happens when I start punishing this mic with high levels. Yeah. Um, and that's just not something that most people are used to thinking about because it's not the, you know, the same type of approach that we usually are concerned with when we're doing other types of measurement. Yeah. And then to even go a step further in that when we're measuring for just simply phase and frequency and uh, magnitude and all that, like that's one thing. But when we start measuring something objective, um, it becomes, you have to, your microphone can't just be like a microphone. Like if you plug it into an interface, you can sit there and mess with the gain and literally change the level of what your um, service is at. But it's not actually changing. You're just messing with the gain knob on the microphone right. you're trying to measure well, with. So right. then it becomes like, okay, well you need to have a defined point where you cannot sway from because that is the reference point. Right. So you, what you're talking about is calibration basically, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So, so the software needs to know what acoustic level is happening at the microphone diaphragm. And so we put our calibrator over our mic and our calibrator produces that known acoustic level. And then we go into smart and say, Hey, that's 110." And smart's like, great, I got it. So now I know what's happening and now I can log SPO. If you go and you just read your preamp, now we again don't know the connection between the level we're seeing and, and the level at the mic, um, unless we have uh, if it's a Roland OctaCapture interface in particular, we can actually track uh, preamp changes on that device, which is kind of cool. So mm-hmm. you can adjust it and keep your SPL calibration intact. But um, yeah, what we recommend to a lot of people to do is turn your preamp all the way down, calibrate it there. If you need to turn it up for different types of measurement that you're doing, that's fine. But you can always put it back down all the way for showtime, and your SPL calibration is great. Um, and then the other thing I'll mention is, um, what if you're in a situation where you have to prove what your numbers were? Mm-hmm. So again, I, and I and I speak with people from from houses of worship all the time who, hey, the city's trying to fine us, right? Money's on the table here. We don't yeah. want to get shut down. We don't want to pay whatever ten thousand dollars. That's a lot of money, right? Um, all of a sudden, hey, saying I promise I didn't touch my interface preamp, <laughs> or <laughs> I promise I promise this calibration is accurate because I checked it against my iPhone. Wh- when you're talking about being in court, that doesn't fly. That absolutely yeah. is not going to save you, right? So then you look to um, what we call a class compliant solution, and it's basically a, a system that that's plug and play. You plug it in, it's calibrated, comes from the factory like that. 
you can't touch the gain. There's no gain to touch, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The most common one that you'll run into, and it's very popular with churches, is what's called 10 easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And it works with smart. You plug it in and you're calibrated and off you go. So there's no futzing with calibrators or the gain pots. And the cool thing about that system is it's class compliant, which means those log files can go to court because those level, you know, there's no way to get it to lie about what the level is. You know, it's a, it's a class compliant, legally acceptable solution. So when you're up against a situation where, hey, there's a fine in play or there's lawsuits in play, and let me tell you something, um, you know, that 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 class compliant solution starts to look like a heck of a bargain when you find out what your lawyer's hourly rate is, right? Right. Um, or or what the fines are. Um, that 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 can get very very costly, and it's just a pain in the butt. No one wants to be involved in that. It's not fun. So um, that is something that for a typical user, do you need to be class compliant if you're measuring, you know, for your own purposes? No, absolutely not. But if you need to prove to somebody that you're following the rules, then that's an important conversation to have. And for those of you that don't know what the mic calibrator like is, it basically looks like a silencer that you put on the end of the microphone. <laughs> and it gives... I've never heard anybody describe it that way before, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it like, kind of forces a very specific amount of pressure uh, onto the diaphragm of the microphone. Um, and it, it's, it's just how you get your baseline. It's how you calibrate it. It's just, everything is very, very measured and specific. And you have to do that if I'm not mistaken, periodically, or if you bump the gain or anything like that, you have to you just occasionally make sure you're calibrated and good to go. Yeah, it's 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 just like you said. It's just it's it's a lab quality device, and that's why they're not twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. It's it, right. It, it's sort of by definition a precision device um, that creates a known acoustic pressure at your microphone, and then allows you you to tell Smart what that pressure is, and so now Smart knows. Okay, I know what level I'm measuring. Um, and if you turn your game pot all the way down, one of the reasons we recommend that is, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about clipping during the show now because mm-hmm. it's all the way down. Um, but yeah, like you said, I can get back to that point. So if I know that with this particular mic, with this particular interface, with the preamp all the way down, this is my calibration offset. I'm good. Um, you obviously do want to check that. Um, some places will require you to check the calibration before and after the logging session. Um, I tend to just check it. You know, it's easy to check. My calibrator produces 110 turn the calibrator on, slip it on the mic, make sure the meter says 110. I'm good. Off I go to the next thing, mm. right? So it takes a couple seconds to check it. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general, you know, it's not going to be something that varies wildly over time unless something's broken. So yeah, you can calibrate your church's rig and leave it at front of house. And as long as no one's going in and messing with things, you can come back to that every week and you can have good confidence that it's it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Mm. Okay, well, any other notes or little tidbits that you think people should know about this topic? Uh, you know, I think it's I think it's a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, and like I said at the beginning, it's been a it's it's very interesting to me, but it's also it's continuously challenging to me as the knowledge evolves, as we learn more about it. You know how how funny it is that we our industry really has kind of latched onto that 1930s stuff and just kind of yeah. ignored everything else you know it's been 90 years since then and things have changed and progressed a lot so um it's absolutely okay if you're like wait this doesn't at all match with what i was taught because it doesn't match with what i was taught either so that's okay um and it's absolutely okay to give yourself some time to kind of chew on that because like i said it's it's a big 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 shift um for a lot of people um, there's some great 
resources on our website. Um, we have an SPL guide. Yep, I was, I'll link of, to that actually in the yeah, show notes. Yeah, that would be a great one. Um, and it basically just says, hey, you're thinking about measuring SPL. Here's some here's some things to keep in mind. Um, and even if you're not a smart user, it's still you know that the, it will teach you about the metrics and about the workflows and just some considerations. And then there's also some stuff on our uh, YouTube channel. You get to hear more of my voice. I know that's what everyone <laughs> really wants. Uh, and I, you know, we kind of talk about how to do the calibration and, and how to set it up and what the different metrics mean. Um, and, you know, I think it's a good first step to, you know, frame it the way we talked about where you're, you're coming to your leadership, you're coming to your worship team and you're saying, Hey, you know, this is important and we want to be responsible with this and let's have a conversation about accountability and safety and consistency and, 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 you know, the, the experience, right. Um, mm-hmm. so it's definitely a journey. I mean, you and I have been friends for long enough that you've kind of watched me fall and get sucked into the, the wonderland, <laughs> right. The yes. rabbit hole. Um, so it's definitely, uh, it's okay to go like, wow, I didn't retain any of that, but, <laughs> but yeah. it's an important thing. And I think, you know, I think it's, I think it's something that, Ethically speaking, we need to be mindful of as people who operate sound systems. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of my, my thoughts on that. Perfect. I love it. Well, thank you for hanging out with me. It's always, we never get enough of this anymore because we're both just busy, but. Uh, I know you had to like go and get like a job and yeah. employment and Gosh. buy a house. That's crazy. I don't know what you're up to. <laughs> you know, living, living life, trying, trying to, <laughs> trying to help make a difference one, one episode at a time, one article at a time. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for, for hanging out with me. Yeah. Thanks. Been my, my pleasure. Thank you so much. You can check out his podcast, Singlets to Noise, which I'm sure you're all all fairly familiar with at this point and you can check out rational acoustics programs and youtube page and i'll have everything linked in the show notes for you if you're interested in learning more church sound podcast is part of the pro sound web podcast network and i'm samantha potter thanks for tuning in and have an amazing service this week